So what does the Pink Power Ranger, Alaska, Dungeons and Dragons, AWS, or even Narwhals all have in common? Well, the answer to that question is our guest, and I bet you're asking yourself, does AWS have a region in Alaska? No, but you never know. Oh, and did I forget to mention that our guest is a doctor, but she's not your average doctor. She's inspiring and always wants to cannonball into that deep end. You won't want to miss our guest on the show today because she has an awesome surprise for us. You know, is it me or do you need to pick me up in the morning or what I like to call coffee time? Check out the description below for our sponsor, Diabolical Coffee, for your favorite flavor and a discount code. Man, that's devilishly good. All right, folks, welcome to the Daily Tech Show. I'm your host, John Meyer, and we always have exciting guests during the show, and today is no exception. Joining us today is ex-Amazonian, a builder, avid YouTuber, content creator of services in 75 and fundamentals in 55, VP of data architecture at Wood Mackenzie Mac, Dr. Liz Dennett. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Liz to the show. Dr. Liz, thanks for joining us. It is such a pleasure to be here. We've been talking about doing this forever. So it's surreal that the day has finally come. You know what? So speaking of that, you and I, when we worked at AWS, we've been trying to do this for over a year. Now that we're not at AWS, we finally get it done. It's amazing how that works. Uh, it's been such a journey for both of us. So it's, it's going to be really exciting to delve into that and share some with everyone watching today. Okay, speaking of journey, Guess what? Our topic today is a very interesting one because, well, the topic is about you and your journey in becoming a VP of data architecture at Wood Mackenzie. I think your story and background is something interesting and inspiring that I'd like to share with the audience. I mean, anytime I talk about myself, I am equally excited to do it and share some things and also a little self-conscious because it still feels like an incredible, crazy journey. And sometimes I'm just in awe that people want to hear about my experiences and my journey. So before we actually get into that, because I want to talk about the surrealness and the imposter syndrome, because that's actually one of the questions I have to ask you. Let's give everybody a little bit of backstory on yourself or the origin story and how you got started. I, I love origin story because it makes me feel like a superhero. And in many ways, something about being a builder is that you are a superhero to solve challenges. Um, my origin story begins in a galaxy far, far away. I shouldn't actually say that. I'm much more of a Star Trek than Star Wars fan. Disclaimer, your mileage may vary. Um, but I grew up in rural Alaska, the kind of place where we didn't have paved roads, didn't have internet, didn't have a store within a few minutes we could go to, where if something broke, you had to fix it yourself. And I always tee this up when I'm giving an intro because that's just such a core part of who I am as a person. I remember when I was a very young child, I had a bike, I was riding on the dirt roads around the neighborhood and one of the pieces on the back broke. And I was talking to my dad about it. And he said, you know, we can't just fix it. We can't go to the store and buy a part, figure it out. And to me, that's a whole different kind of self-reliance is figuring out, okay, well, I don't have a part, but I got duct tape. I got some things I can repurpose. I have like a broken ruler. I think I used, I can roll up my sleeves and actually fix. And that paradigm is just such a core part of my DNA. I was actually voted most likely to get away with anything when I graduated high school, uh, not because I was constantly disobeying the rules, although I can be a little bit chaotic at times, but because I'm always looking for ways to solve systems and make it better. 
That led me to a master's PhD where I worked for NASA, looking at how life originated on earth with astrobiology, led me to be a geologist for an energy company. It's one of the coolest startups looking at subsurface genomics as a novel data type for energy customers, and eventually led me to AWS and now with McKenzie. So that's really the core part about who I am and what I do as a human. Okay, back up a little bit. There was so much information. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I learned a couple more pieces. First of all, Alaska, uh, you mentioned that once before, and I really find that interesting because you know I know that you didn't have all the tools or everything readily available, or it takes a little bit of time to get out there, but you just mentioned uh, master's PhD, uh, NASA. I, I didn't hear about that before. Touch on that real quick before we jump into some other things, because I'm really kind of curious. Oh, oh, this is so cool. I will talk about my graduate research if given the opportunity. It's, it's in circumneutral pH terrestrial iron cycling, which is a hot topic in no meetings I ever go to. Um, <laughs> when I was graduating from college, I went to an in-state school. It was a great opportunity, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my parents always said, go to college as long as someone else is paying for it. And I had... I read a lot. I read a lot of science fiction, lots of fantasy. And I'd been reading about DNA and aliens and life in the universe. And I was really curious what that, what that would look like. And I ended up learning about this thing called geomicrobiology or astrobiology, how life evolved on early earth, how it could be a proxy for life on Mars. And I cold emailed every grad school that was in this NASA astrobiology Institute, pretty much saying, Hey, I'm from this school you've probably never heard of. I am the hardest worker I know. I maybe don't have the best academic credentials. I'm not coming from an Ivy League school, but I've done some research and I'm obsessed and super curious and want to discover stuff and want to really look at how life evolved on early earth. Um, surprisingly, that, that cold reaching out was pretty successful. I got into a few schools and ultimately went to Wisconsin-Madison. I completed my master's, did a bunch of field work in Australia, Geneva, Switzerland. I specifically looked at the rock record and how microbes are able to oxidize and reduce iron in these little test tubes. And that led me to a PhD and a whole bunch of papers that have been published about pyrite and other iron phases, um, which has nothing to do with anything I do today. And there <laughs> is beauty in that. All right. So Dr. Liz, because you have earned that title, hardworking, but you don't seem like a traditional doctor, uh, fun, energetic. Uh, you never know what you're going to say next. I'm going to leave that hanging right there. And uh, or you never know what you're going to post next. Actually, that's always a good one. Speaking of posting some things, let's work a little backwards. You're right now at Wood McKenzie, but I want to talk about some of the things that you've posted and kind of in true Amazon tradition of working backwards, fundamentals in 55. Talk to me about that because you did something previous that I think led to fundamentals in 55. Oh man, anytime anyone mentions a LinkedIn video series I post, it's just instant warm fuzzies. For those of you that are not familiar with my work out there, fundamentals in 55 is a rapid, rapid fire way to look at a fundamental piece of system design in 55 seconds or less. In reality, they're two or three minutes because the intro alone is pretty much 55 seconds. Um, I started with this thing called Services in 75, where I rolled some RPG dice and would pick a random AWS service and talk about that in 75 seconds or less. Less. It was designed to be scalable, informative, really rapid fire. And it actually spun out of this series of videos I posted when the first lockdown hit Houston, 
all of my speaking engagements were canceled. I was at AWS building some of the coolest things for our customers and partners. And I wanted to share my knowledge. Um, also, very selfishly, I, I think that the tech industry needs more diverse voices. We need people from different backgrounds, having their voices heard and being able to be empowered to build things. And that was my grassroots way to say, well, if I can't speak up at a conference, I'll record a video and post it in the internet. No one will really know. It will be fine. It won't be a big thing. Uh, my first video got 10,000 views, which is crazy. It was just gobsmacking to me. Yeah. And since then, I've posted 200 total, about 100 with fundamentals and 55. I've done a whole series about the well-architected framework. The most popular ones, though, are about soft skills. They're about networking, not cider block networking, but how do you make contacts? How do you build a network that helps you? How do you give feedback? The one about imposter syndrome, I have some about a wilderness solo I did where I spent time alone in the woods to really help with some of my burnout and kind of recenter myself all kinds of different topics. And to me, that forum has been one of the COVID hobbies I'm the most proud of, but also just a completely unexpected way to impact the tech industry and grow my network. And it's been very, very rewarding, but never something I thought a few years ago I'd be signing up for. Okay, so services in 75. Uh, I have to tell you, Liz, I don't think you and I, we were connected on LinkedIn, but what I saw was a services in 75 was right around the time that I started producing content. And by the way, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now. In fact, my kids would watch YouTube. I'm like, how many views? Oh my God, I can't do it. You'll never see me post on YouTube. Never say never. I'm just going to have to say that. Uh, your services in 75 was like, wow, these are pretty good. And you told me you did them in one shot, correct? Oh yeah. Any habit that you do needs to be repeatable and scalable. Just like architectures, they need to be repeatable and scalable and pragmatic. So everything I do is one shot. Um, if I really mess up, I'll do a, a, another take, but you'll see them if you watch, I'll giggle, I'll slur my words and have to restate sentences. You'll hear the audio click on when I hit record. And part of that is because there's beauty in putting something out there that's not perfect and polished, but is a work in progress and is much more organic. If you want to see a perfect produced video. There's tons of those out there. If you want to connect with someone that's doing something that you're curious about or, or want to do, I want to be that person. And I want to have organic conversations that are really rooted in these scalable patterns. Because if you say you want to learn about the cloud or you want to learn to code, that's not something where you do it once, you spend an hour doing it and you're done. It always needs to be a repeatable and scalable process where you're continuously evolving, much like these videos. Okay, so I think your videos come across really natural. And I think that's what drives people to it is because it's like the bloopers reel and <laughs> education all rolled up into one. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody makes a bloopers reel. Hey, check out all our stuff at the end or whatever it is. You just include it in there. It comes across natural and in 75 seconds or two minutes and two or three minutes or less. There was one I was doing with the well-architected framework and the pillar of cost optimization. And I kept saying cash rules everything around me. And I couldn't say it with a straight face because every time you quote Wu-Tang Clan, you should just be caught off guard and start chuckling about it. Um, and that's, that's who I am. I think in many ways, that's who you are too. That's how we are talking to each other. That's how I am in front of customers. That's how I am in my team meetings when we're talking about architecture. There's a levity that comes because what we're doing is fun. 
I'm not in this job because I want to achieve some objective career level or make a certain amount of money or have someone give me a pat on the back. I'm here because I have a passion for making systems more efficient, for going back to my high school, getting away with stuff, to being a little bit chaotic about how we can fuel the energy transition. And it's really, really a privilege to be able to do that every day. And then if people tune in and watch, crazy. I I feel the same way. And actually, so my next question is the imposter syndrome. And I know at AWS, I felt it. I felt it within the first couple of months. And then, you know, when I transitioned over to work for my next company, I felt it in there a little bit, but not as much because I understood what the imposter syndrome was and how to accept it. And before I let you comment on it, actually, you know what? Did you happen to see my video on the imposter syndrome? Why, yes, maybe I did. Oh, well, before you comment on that or the imposter syndrome, Don't forget to take a look up here at my video on the imposter syndrome. It's like, what, three minutes long, something really short, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Like you said, we do this because we enjoy it and have fun. All right, the imposter syndrome. Dr. Liz, what is it? What's your feelings on it? And I would like a little bit of feedback on my video, if you don't mind. Um, So I first heard about imposter syndrome in grad school. I was really lucky. I went to a talk that a very famous researcher was doing. And she told a story about how her first year in grad school, she was meeting with one of her friends and made a comment like, when do you think they'll find out about me? And to me, I'm still getting goosebumps talking about that resonated because the previous week in grad school, my first year, I talked to one of my friends, like, I get why you're here. You're brilliant. You're from this Ivy League school. I grew up in Alaska. I don't even, I don't know anyone that has a master's or PhD. This is so crazy. Um, And that that's ebbed and flowed definitely throughout my life. It peaked at AWS for sure. My first one-on-one with my manager. Hi, Michael, if you're out there, I'm pretty sure I said, hey, did you happen to interview two Liz's the same day? Because I, I'm here. I just relocated to Texas. I'm pumped to be here, but I'm pretty sure you hired the wrong Liz. Um, everyone around me had 20, 30 years in IT. They could write code in circles around me. Yeah, they didn't have a master's and PhD and they hadn't worked for an operator and they hadn't been obsessed with getting new data sets in the energy space. But all that stuff seemed trivial because I can do that. That's fine. It was these things I didn't have that were so just crazy. Um, And the thing that I found the most solace in is recognizing that everyone at AWS that I pretty much would share a little bit about, oh, I had imposter syndrome when I started. So many would be like, yeah, Everyone raises the bar, but I somehow made it through. And I was like, yeah, me too. I somehow made it through. Um, There was really a coalition there and a lot of camaraderie where we could call it out. We could share stories of being asked to give a keynote. Or I know for me, writing my promotion doc was so just terrifying. And it took me months to talk myself into it because seeing what the other engineers and solutions architects were doing. It was crazy. And here I am, just little old me, let alone I'd won awards at AWS. I'd had dozens of blog posts and speaking engagements and done so many cool things for our customers. But there's something that really is true about not feeling like you are good enough or you belong there. And being able to give a voice to that and talk about it is one of the things I'm pretty proud of. All right. Before I ask you another question on that, uh, comment on the video. What did you think? I'm curious. I love all your videos. In fact, I've never told you this. So this is the first time you'll hear it. 
the first time you reached out to me in one of our internal forums and was like, Hey Liz, nice videos. And I was like, total fangirl moment, totally starstruck. Like other people that are doing this, this evangelism stuff are reaching out to me. And you actually asked me for a list of all my videos. And the only reason I have one and I made it evergreen was because you said that would be a helpful thing to have. Well, first of all, thank you. And I, I was never an evangelist at AWS. I did everything on the side. It was fun. It was all the passion. What I'm doing now, just like you, it's, it's just something to do. And it was, I, I loved what you were putting out there for services in 75. It was very quick, easy, digestible. And how you come across, people are attracted to the naturalness. And that's why I reach out to you. And that's why we've been trying to do this for over a year. I said, I said a year. I think it's a year and a half by now. Uh, oh, how long has that pandemic been going on? Right. One day we'll actually meet in person and be like, whoa, person, person. And then everyone <laughs> on LinkedIn will just have hundreds of selfies of us. It'll be spectacular. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. I'm, so uh, I'm actually going to switch gears for, I got one more question before I do something different, right? You talked about in Alaska, you had to build things. You, there was a keyword that you mentioned in the beginning, build, we have to do it ourselves and hands-on. And you go to AWS and AWS is full of builders. You're doing building and everything. How did AWS building transition over to VP of architecture for Wood McKenzie? Oh man, in its root, it's all about building things and solving problems. Um, the... It's so funny. I, I never thought I'd leave AWS and I haven't actually spoken too much about this, but I, I love AWS. I am still one of their biggest fans. And the thing I loved most about my time there is you were able to help customers think through their architecture to design their systems. And I loved it. But the thing that always struck me is I felt like a lifeguard and I was watching all the cool kids have fun in the pool, splashing around, creating non-scalable architectures and I would blow my little whistle and say, all right, that doesn't align with this pillar of the framework. Or you guys, that is a horrible disaster recover strategy, or this is not going to scale. And it was really rewarding to be able to see and have such a broad global influence. But at the end of the day, part of me just wants to cannonball into the deep end of the pool and build myself and, and make those mistakes and just splash and play around using an amazing array of services. Um, so to answer your question, the fundamental pieces of really the, the leadership principles permeate every team I've ever been on, whether they're explicitly called out or not, but to carry over that plus the cloud expertise, plus all of the lessons that I've learned and honestly, all of the mistakes I've made building a lot of my first and second and fifth systems, carrying those over to really accelerate the energy transition work we're doing and to really help energy customers think through their entire portfolio and provide access to data that's helping transform how we power the planet has been me with my water wings on splashing around in the deep end for a few months now. So you want someone else to blow the whistle and you want to be the person. That's Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I got, hey, you know what? So that's actually one of the things and one of the reasons that I left is because I was more of an influencer. Man, that's really cool. No, 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 stop. No. Oh, I got I wanted to build, I wanted to play around with more. And that's one of the reasons I, I love all the AWS products and services and all the people that I talk to there or have on the show, it's full of passion and energy. So, you know, congrats on the new role. I know you're very happy about it. I know we talked about your role and what you're able to do and accomplish and get your hands on there and build some new things. So congratulations. 
It's, I have so much love and gratitude for everyone I cross paths with at AWS. I've had the best people managers and leaders, both that I've ever, ever experienced. Um, probably a lot of the same people you've interacted with, but like Kyle and Michael and Obeyed and Kim and the energy team, and just so many people that are invested in really helping our customers do something and also invested as me as a builder coming into my own and making mistakes and playing around. And it, it's so great. And honestly, uh, deciding to leave was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. And I would not be surprised if I continue to build on AWS for the rest of my life again and again and again. That's nice. It's very inspiring for anybody that wants to, you know, kind of go to AWS. In fact, you know what? Last week I did a recording with Jeff Farr. And if you take a look up here, I have some tips and tricks on interview questions. Yes, I have to do those things and throw in a couple of pieces. They just pop in my head. So, you know, I'm going with it. Awesome. Okay. So Dr. Liz, we're going to take a break from all these questions and do a little fun game. How about we do a rapid fire, maybe two to three minutes of a wave of questions for you. And it's totally off the cusp, out of the blue questions. What do you think? I think that sounds great. Let's dive in. All right. All right. Actually, so, hold on. Before we dive in, I have just the thing that'll help with this. I'll be right back. Oh, this is going to be interesting. All right. So why Liz is going off screen now, how about everybody hit that like, subscribe and the notification because you never know what Liz is going to come on the screen with next. And I, I wish I had some music like, dun, dun. oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hope I'm it's ready. AC in your house. I'm, we're swimming into these rapid fire questions. All right, awesome. Are you ready for these questions? I would give you thumbs up, but apparently narwhals don't have thumbs. Oh, nice. Are you ready? Here we yes. go. Mac or PC? Uh, both. I have a Chromebook and a Mac at home. My work laptop's a PC. Oh, and I'm a diehard Pixel fan, and I have an iPhone for work, so I just have all the technology. Technology, yes. Okay, okay. We'll we'll skip to the next question. I want. <laughs> okay, last book you read? Um, Collapsing Empire series by John Scalzi. I re-listened to it for like the fourth time. All right, fictional character you can relate to the most? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh, that's, oh, that's in my, like, uh, growing up, my genre. All right, okay. All right, favorite AWS service? S3. I know it's a little basic, but there's nothing else I would trust to archive all of my services in 75 and fundamentals in 55 videos. And it's, I'm paying a dollar a month in storage. It's crazy. 11.9 okay. durability. Oh man, since you're an S3 fan, did you happen to see, I, I'm, I, I hate uh, the other video I did celebrating uh, S3's 15 year anniversary? No, I haven't seen it yet, but okay, I I'm bet not... if I follow up there, I bet if I look up here, I can see it. <laughs> Actually, if you want to point up there, it's on your left-hand side. If you point that way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Point up there. Uh, don't forget to click on the S3 one. I'm going to send you that link. That was by far the best video. I, I had so much fun doing it. It's less than two minutes. It took me probably 32 hours to edit <laughs> just oh, because of the green screen and effects. Okay. All right. Gonna, all right. Wow. This is, uh, is going to be the thing you wish you knew before posting your very first video. That I would become accidentally famous. And whenever I see people in person at conferences, they'll want to talk about them because people will actually watch them. I know that feeling. All right. Favorite color? Purple. I would have guessed like light blue, but we'll get going. 
Okay, the last question here is, what is a COVID hobby that you're most proud of? And you did mention it on the show or earlier, but I'm curious if it's changed or if it's something more. So this might come as a surprise because you might not know that I'm a little bit of a nerd. I know, full disclosure time, I am a nerd. I played a Dungeons and Dragons game all the way through and became a level 20 sorcerer. And if you have ever played a game that was over a hundred different sessions representing probably four to 800 hours of my life. And it was amazing. If you're, if you're stuck at level 16 or 17, keep going to level 20, but it'll always be one of the coolest things I've done. Oh, nice. Uh, actually going off. I know you kind of hinted at, let's talk, let, let's switch back to our normal questions because you talked about Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, you can take that. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's nice and warm. But so you have mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, but when we were talking about it, you were talking about reInvent and doing something that reInvent, a little live streaming, recording, kind of gamified action. What do you think? You're going to be at reInvent? Is this a possibility? That is, that is the plan. I know that pending safety, making sure that we can all show up and be safe. I am planning on being at reInvent and I have a dream that one day there will be a live stream D&D event. I have some people lined up, we need more. Hopefully there'll be some wonderful celebrity DM. I'm sure with your connections, we can get some wonderful celebrity players and we can raise money for a good charity. While setting off fireballs and having some cool Eldritch blasts, not that I've already thought about what my character will be. Uh, no, just, just a little bit. Uh, so, I'm not sure if I'm going to reinvent yet. So if anybody's actually continuously watching this, you know, episode, if you want to sponsor me, go ahead, comment down below. I wouldn't mind it at all. And if you know a celebrity DM, I promise not to totally, I can't promise that. I will totally fangirl out. It has to be fifth edition. Um, we can use as many of the expansions as we want. We can even face it in one of the new books that's coming out. I will, we can talk about this offline. Now, it, it sounds like you might have thought about this before, just a little bit. Once or twice. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe we can get there and do a live streaming uh, you know, event all around it. That would be actually pretty cool. That would be awesome. And now that we have some of these rapid fire questions, I don't know why we both can't wear narwhal onesies and just walk around asking people questions. I probably should not say that, but too late. No take backsies. I'm uh, a one tape recorder. <laughs> Well, wait, actually, so I just thought of something. My episode before with Jeff, there's an unofficial challenge that Jeff has kind of put out there in the recording. So I'm going to give a hint to everybody that you should watch it. Is this, an, this sounds like another unofficial challenge to kind of wear a narwhal outfit. What do you think? Or at least narwhal accessories. It can be Ooh. a hat. It can be a t-shirt. You don't have to go all in onesie style. Yeah, yeah, maybe a narwhal mask, just kind of throwing some hint at with the nose, you know, like this. Oh, all right, all right, all right. We could get ourselves in a bunch of trouble uh, with some unofficial stuff. Don't worry, AWS has not sanctioned any of it. And by the way, we don't work for AWS, so we can actually say some of this and we can start our own stuff. <laughs> and our narwhals, obviously, our mascot of all, all the stuff we're doing from here on out. <laughs> I can see a group of us going down. Uh, the expo, all dressed to that. And then it, more and more people coming now, it's a conga line. And we'll get little narwhal stickers. And every time someone gives it, like talks to us, we'll give them a sticker somewhere on them. And slowly we'll see it spreading. It will be wonderful. It'll be grassroots outreach at its best. I can see a Twitter 
you know, firestorm of pitchers and selfies with narwhals at reInvent. Okay. All right. We, you know what? I'll tell you what. We're starting something that I'm, we can't stop. I'm sorry. We're going to have to put it out there. Narwhals out of the bag. All right. So, Dr. Liz, I got another question, really. And it's a question you and I were talking about the pivot of your career. And I, I mean, you're a doctor, a geologist, you joined AWS. How did you accomplish all this? What was your strategy behind it? I mean, you, the passion that you bring to not only the service, wait a second, I got to stop talking. You're like, strategy. You a good I, just, I love this idea that you have a, someone has this master career strategy to like pivot and say, I want to end up here in 10 years. Um, the reality is it's, it's not nearly that, that much forethought. It is, uh, when people ask me, how do you pivot your career? I say bravely. Because the answer is you jump in the deep end, just like when you're designing a system and you say, hey, I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, I tend to think, no, I don't tend to. I do think that if you're not scared and outside your comfort zone, you're not doing anything worthwhile and you're not pushing yourself far enough. I was a competitive triathlete for a while. I've actually done an Ironman, which is a whole other thing we can talk about. Um, but a lot of those big audacious goals where you say you're going to do something, you get there. And then on game day, you say, well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions, um, that's carried through a lot of times to my career. And also the saying that chance favors the prepared mind. So even if I'm not, I don't have some master plan, I throw myself in, I learn, I soak up as much as I can. I work as hard as I can, especially when no one's saying uh, my favorite analogy is a duck calmly swimming along, but paddling like crazy underneath the surface and then taking leaps, taking advantages of those opportunities, knowing sometimes you're going to fail, but I would so much rather fail epically and spectacularly and have some great stories and be somewhere else than be stuck in the same place saying, I wonder if I would have logged into the AWS console and tried to build something, or I wonder if, wonder what it would be like to play around with Python in a Jupyter notebook, like just do it. Nice. I, I love the mentality, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. Very, a really good quote from a really good video. Uh, I, I love the, uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's just inspirational that you just go and do it. I, I saw a couple of other quotes. It was almost like, uh, you don't know how to do the job. We'll get into the role and learn how to do it and figure it out along, all along the way, you know, get out of your comfort zone. It's the only way you're going to grow. Yeah. And taking it back to the comments at the top of the show about building once those core parts of your personality or your ethos are there, you're going to figure it out. You're going to build your way out. If you're stuck, you're going to figure out if you can't have a technology solution or you don't know what the data is going to look like. You probably know how it's not going to look and you can at least start with some anti-patterns. But if you're really stuck, you'll build a way out. Either yourself, you'll come up with it or you'll leverage your resources and you'll figure it out. Nice. All right. I have, well, I'd say two more questions, but they just keep popping up. You know, Dr. Liz, you've mentioned that you did an Ironman. I, I didn't know that. I got to touch on that. How long ago was this? And really, what did you do to prepare for it? Oh, it was my last year of grad school. Um, I was 26 the year I trained for it. The irons number is 26. It seemed very apropos. Um, I was also leading spinning classes at Wisconsin. So I was running our spinning program. I was in very good cardio shape, running marathons, and I'd been competing at the collegiate level in triathlon. So I'd 
competed at collegiate nationals for Olympic distance races. And they have uh, Ironman Wisconsin every year. Every time I'd watch and spectate and volunteer, I would get goosebumps. And so I signed up one year and it took me 10 months to train for. It was a very long journey. My entire year was dedicated to that singular goal. In the peak, it was 20 hours of training on the weekends, one to two hours a day during the week. I actually was interning in Houston that year. And I remember I landed here with my bike and it was a hundred outside 110 heat index. And I had that split second of like, well, what did I just get myself into? And then, then my rational thinking caught up and was like, awesome. If race day is hot, I'm going to be in much better cardiovascular shape than anyone else. And then I spent an hour combing through the primary literature to see what heat adaptations would actually convert to lower temperature race time. Again, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Um, but it was one of those lofty goals that, that when you do it teaches you a, that you can accomplish anything B that pain is temporary and C when something seems impossible, if it's an eight hour bike ride, you always manage to figure out a way to do it. And all that feeds into that, the preparedness we were talking about with chance favoring you. Nice. Well, that's definitely inspirational to, you know, go through the whole training to push yourself. Uh, to complete something like that. I have yet, I'm not saying I'm not going to, I, I do a lot of other competitions, uh, Spartan races, and I, I love those for timing type events. In fact, uh, you know, for the last year, obviously with COVID and the pandemic, it's very difficult to do those and I'm hoping to get back into them. Um, I'm also getting up there in age, so my body is feeling them just a little bit. Right? What is that? And part two that I just glossed over is that up until the age of 21, I'd never run a mile. I didn't grow up as a runner or an athlete. So to go from zero miles to five miles was so much harder than to go from five to 26.2. That initial part was brutal and it took months and months of my life to get there. Um, and it's so easy to take that for granted when you talk about where you're starting from. I think that manifests itself in a lot of ways about even my own privilege that I don't acknowledge um, I don't explicitly acknowledge necessarily. Um, but the journey to get to where you are frequently is much harder than the journey to get from where you are now than where you want to be. That first, that first hill is always the steepest. Yep. Take little bites, little chunks, and just keep going, keep pedaling away. So Dr. Liz, my last kind of topic, and I can't say my last question, is you're now at the VP Data Architecture at Wood McKenzie. What is that? What are you doing daily? And, you know, what do you enjoy so much about it? Oh, it's so cool. So in a nutshell, I'm working with some of the most diverse and awesome energy data sets, breaking down data silos and figuring out how we can enable a lot of these sustainable use cases. I, we're also hiring tons of data architects and data modelers. If anyone out there is curious, feel free to reach out to me and shameless plug. Um, but at the end of the day, it's building scalable architecture systems. It's creating enablement around what data architecture means. It's helping really transform how anyone looking at data doesn't just see it as a snapshot in time, but really sees how the data is interconnected and in connecting separate data sets so that one team's data versus another team's data aren't in these separate silos, but they're all together because with data, just like with great power, it comes great responsibility. And once you have access to the data, then you can really use it to transform. All right. First of all, I love the shameless plug. Everybody, I'll put in the comments and the description <laughs> below 
a link to some of the career opportunities at Wood McKenzie. Don't worry about it. I'll add your shameless plug. Uh, you mentioned a lot of building in just that whole entire paragraph of all the things. Is that what you're getting to do now and continuously get to do since transversing from AWS to Wood McKenzie? Oh, I am whiteboarding and building and there's architectures and there's data engineers and data architects and data modelers. And we are, we're working with some amazingly talented team members to build a world-class engineering work at the end of the day. So yes, I, I'm also a builder. So to me, everything looks like building. If it's a team, if it's an infrastructure system, if it's a data pipeline, if it's a database, like that's, that's my myopic view that I see the world with. We are always building. All right. You know what? So just getting a chance to talk with you, not only about your career and moving forward, the inspiration is there for anybody else that is looking to further their career. My, okay, I'll say my last question, I guess, is if you were still at AWS or even now, what are some tips and tricks on just interviewing there? Because now they have two additional leadership principles that weren't there when we were. So, oh man, so many things. Um, the first one is think through what you want to have happen. This seems very common sense, but if you want to give specific examples that highlight these, this experience or this domain you were in, prepare that. Um, I, I showed up preparing, I think I had three or four scenarios for each LP in star format. Um, I could probably still go through them again and again. I did switch roles inside AWS, so I've gone through the loop process twice. Um, really, preparation is your number one tool. Think about working backwards from what are the experiences you want them to see? What are the things you want to highlight? Um, the second thing, too, is to really be yourself. If you have experiences that are really deep in certain areas of the technology, but you're not as experienced with others, own that. You can speak to where your gaps are. You can speak to the things you do know, but don't go in trying to say, yeah, let's talk about network security when you're more of an application developer, for instance. Um, the third thing too, and this might be controversial, is that if you read the leadership principles and you don't feel a fire inside you, like if you don't just intuitively grok them and you're like, oh, I get this, I get this, then it's probably not going to be the right place for you. If you're struggling to find examples or to tie those LPs to your day-to-day -day experiences, guess what? Those LPs are not just on paper. They govern every single thing we do from replying to an email saying, in the spirit of bias for action, I'm going to, or to saying, hey, I can't take meetings on Friday because I'm diving deep to learn about all of this part of the system to help our customer. If, if you don't get that and you don't see those LPs as a way to bring structure to the nebulous sense of who you are, probably going to be a struggle bus. And I would encourage you to think um, about how maybe you could find a culture that's more aligned with what you want to do. Are you using some of the stuff you learned at AWS, including the leadership principles in your current role? In my current role, in my current life, uh, like helping with my puppy, training him, these LPs manifest themselves in every single thing I do. You, you can never get rid of them. With dog training, for instance, an example of diving deep, I want to train my dog. Cool. Do I Google one website and say, that's what I'm doing? No, I go back to the source. I read as many papers as I can. I really dive deep there. Um, I could go on and on about these, but they're just such a core part of who I am. I can never separate them.
Your mileage may vary, of course. <laughs> viewers, your mileage may vary. So you started off that with your dog and diving deep. And I was just like, where is she going with this? <laughs> that was actually very interesting because, you know, you just, uh, it's everything is even with my, my kids, I was actually, um, what was it? Disagree and commit. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to disagree and commit on this. And <laughs> I just go on. And like, learn and be curious. That's one that comes up all the time too. Like, did I need to spend X number of hours researching this one topic so that I, I know what I'm talking about? No, but I'm always going to be very curious and I will, I will do that whenever I have the opportunity. Nice. Okay, Dr. Liz, before I end the show, do you have anything you'd like to leave the audience as a closing remark? Uh, oh, in honor of my narwhal bit, just keep swimming. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. All right, everybody, thank you for joining the Daily Tech Show. I'm your host, John Meyer, and I'd like to thank our special guest, VP of Data Architecture, Dr. Liz Dennett. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Hit that like, subscribe, and the notification because we got more awesome content on the way. Thank you, Dr. Liz. Such a pleasure. Thanks, John. Yo.